Well, welcome again to everybody here in the room, um, those who are outside worshiping with us, those who are watching online. Uh, we are so glad that you're here today to worship, to open the Word of God with us together. My name is Sutton Wirt, and I'm the community care pastor here, um, and it's a gift to, to get to be with you this morning. Um, I'm excited to continue our fall series, Made for God, Identity, Gender, and Sex. Um, and if you've been with us the past couple weeks, um, Scott started us out a couple weeks ago saying that you and I are made in the image of God, which means that we can't really know who we are until we know who God is. We can't know who we are until we know who God is. And so really, all of the, the confusion around these things in our culture around sex and gender um, boils down to a discipleship issue. It's a spiritual issue because we cannot rightly understand ourselves apart from knowing God. Um, so that's why we're talking about th these things. That's where we're in inviting you all into this conversation. Um, and we're excited to continue that today. Um, Scott did start this series with a few ground rules. And so I'm going to reiterate those today. Um, so we're all on the, the same field here. First one's this. Uh, we are going to approach these things from a biblical perspective. Um, so if the Bible is not your standard for authority, then we may end up at very different places. Um, the Bible is um, our standard here at Orchard Hills, uh, this is what we base our belief off of. We believe that it's inspired by God's Spirit through His people um, and that it is true and that it can be trusted. Um, the second thing is that this is not about politics, it's about people. Um, so right now in our culture, there's so much political stuff around these issues, but we want to step back from those things and just look at each other as people. Um, and one of the things that we want to keep saying over and over again is that we are all sexually broken. We are all sexual sinners. And so this is not an us versus them thing. This is not about those people out there. This is about us right here um, who need Jesus uh, if we're going to find healing and wholeness in the area of our gender and sexuality. The third thing is this. We hope to be like Jesus, full of grace and truth. John 1.14 says, Jesus came full of both grace and truth. You and I, we, we image those imperfectly, but Jesus is the fullness of both. Um, and then the fourth thing is this. On Tuesday evenings at 7 o'clock right here in the sanctuary, we are continuing to have every week um, open discussion forums. M many of you came out for that this past week. We had more uh, people here this past week than we, than we did the one before. Uh, those conversations are super fun, super engaging. We've ended up spending about two hours. Um, but you can come and go as you please, even if it's just for a little bit. So that invitation is open to you. We'd love for you to be there. So those are our ground rules. Um, last week, we covered the topic of gender, and we talked about God's design for our bodies and how sin presents itself even in our bodies and the way that we feel about them um, and how, as a church, we need to have great compassion and care toward people who are struggling um, in that area. Uh, so today, we're going to, to move on a little bit, and we're going to talk about um, more specifically the area of sexuality how God designed it, and how he intended it to be expressed. Again, through our time today, I hope to bring both clarity and compassion to what has been a hard and confusing conversation for many of us. Um, so please grab your Bibles if you have them. Um, we'd love for you to turn and see what we're talking about. We're going to be back in Genesis chapter 1 and 2 today. Um, if you don't have a Bible with you, we've got some in front of you there under the chairs if you're outside you got the U version, you know, so you can use that. Um, but let me pray for us, and then we'll, we'll dive in together. Well, Lord Jesus, you are the king 
as we have sung. Um, And we want to be more like you. Um, We want you to be the one who determines who we are and how we um, live out our gender and our sexuality. Lord, you're the one who designed us this way. And so you know how we as humans work best. Um, So Lord, we just want to submit ourselves to you, to your word. Um, We pray that you would be moving and speaking amongst us by your Holy Spirit. Um, And yeah, Lord, we just want to know you more. So we pray that it would be your heart on display this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Well, last week we looked at how God deliberately made us in his image as male and as female um, to show us that we cannot represent him by ourselves. Um, God himself is this three-person unity um, of of love and community in himself. Uh, And so he makes man in his image as as two different kinds of people. Um, So showing that we cannot uh, image God properly on our own. We need each other. We need to be living in community. So much so that the first thing that God says is not good. Uh, He said all of creation is good as he's making the world. And then the first thing in Genesis chapter 2 verse 18, he says it is not good that man should be alone. And so isolation, individualism, independence, those are not the way that God designed us to work. He made us to live in community. Now, when we talked about that last, thing, last week, um, what some of you might have heard uh, is that you can't image God properly without a significant other, without a spouse or a boyfriend or girlfriend. So I just wanted to make clear that is not what I was saying, and that is not what the Bible is saying. Um, that is not what the Bible is saying at all. Scripture is saying that God has not, lived you, has not made you to live in isolation, that he made you for community. Um, And that you can't really be who God made you to be apart from living in community with God and with others, whether you're married or single. Um, So we'll talk more about that in a little bit. But for now, let's look a little closer at God's purpose in our sexuality. Um, This is in Genesis chapter 1. We'll start there. Um, Right after the verse we looked at last week, verse 27, where it says, God made them in his image, male and female. Verse 28 says this, And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. So this is kind of the first great commission where God is is giving humans our responsibility, our job, our role, um, that we would multiply life, replicating the image of God out across the world, making more and more image bearers. That is part of his design. But remember, this can't happen with just the man or the woman by themselves. And so Genesis 2, if you'll turn there with me, just flip the page over. Um, Genesis 2 zooms in on those days of creation and shows God first making man and then he's naming the animals and then he's not seeing uh, the, the person who is like him, who he's made to live in community with. And then this is what happens in verse 21 of chapter 2. It says, So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. Therefore, 
A man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast, commit, cling to, covenant, covenant to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Pretty crazy. So here in this passage, we see um, the first picture of marriage, of God joining a man and a woman together in a commitment, in a covenant. That's what that word hold fast means. Um, but it's also the first picture we get of sexuality, of, of two different people coming together in this one flesh union. So now we have a few insights into God's purpose in our sexuality. First thing from Genesis 1 is that sex is designed for the purpose of procreation. God's commission to humans was to be fruitful and multiply, and that's how this is done. Second thing we see from Genesis chapter 2 is that sex is designed for the purpose of one flesh union. It serves as a powerful glue, a binding together of the man and the woman, causing two separate persons to become one. So, two profound uh, purposes behind our sexuality. Um, but there's more. And it's not till Ephesians chapter 5 that we're given uh, an insight into the fuller and deeper meaning of this sexual one flesh union that we're looking at here. So, last time I'll ask you to turn. Uh, if you'll turn with me to Ephesians 5, other side of your Bible, Genesis is at the beginning, Ephesians is near the end. Um, it's page 1159 if you're reading along with any of the Bibles in the chairs. Um, after the Gospels in the pastoral epistles, Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus and he's explaining to them the beauty of the gospel and all that the implications that it has for how we live, specifically in this part, how we live in families. And so he's addressing men and women um, in marriage. And he says this, I want us to look at verses 31 and 32. He says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Sounds familiar. Verse 32, he says, This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So see what Paul did there. Notice first, he's quoting Genesis. He quotes what we just read in Genesis chapter 2. But then he says, This mystery is profound. It is a deeper, more beautiful thing than we can understand. But, but then he says this, he's saying that, I'm saying that it this one flesh sexual union in marriage, it refers to Christ in the church. What? That's crazy. That's crazy. And the implications of that one sentence are, are deep and wide, but we cannot get into all of it here. There's two things that I want to point out from, from this sentence. First, this means that you are not the point of your sexuality. God is. You are not the point of your sexuality. God is. Now hear me on this. The world is obsessed with sex. And everyone is shouting, do what feels good, express yourself, live your truth, pursue sexual satisfaction at whatever cost with whomever you deserve to be sexually fulfilled. But Paul is saying that sex is not actually about you and your fulfillment at all. Sex is an imperfect picture of a far deeper reality. It is a picture of Christ in the church. It's a picture of the intimacy that you and I were made to have with God. That's crazy. That's crazy. Let me read a couple quotes that will help us unpack that and think through that idea. Um, I'll share a little more about these authors later, but for now, this one is from Dr. Julie Slattery. She says it this way. 
While God created sexual desire to awaken our longing for love, even marriage is not the ultimate fulfillment of that desire. Marriage is the shadow, the foretaste, the metaphor of the true longing to be known, embraced, accepted, and celebrated by our Creator. This means our sexuality is infused with a significant spiritual purpose, regardless of our marital status. Pastor uh, in the UK, Sam Albury, says it this way, Union with Christ forever is what the earthly states of both marriage and singleness actually point to. The purpose of earthly marriage is not to fulfill us, but to point us to the relationship that does. The purpose of singleness is not to show us that we are sufficient and enough in ourselves, but to point us to the one who is. Amen. Isn't that wild? That God would have such deep purpose and meaning behind our sexuality? That he made you as a sexual being in order that you might understand the, the depth of emotion and intimacy and longing that is behind his desire to have a relationship with you. He is, Jesus is the deeper and ultimate goal behind our sexuality. And through it, we see both our longing for him and our emptiness without him. And here's the second implication of Ephesians 5. Since our sexuality is about God, he is the one who determines how we express it. It's his idea. He created it. And so he is the one who gets to call the shots. He is the one who determines what is sexually good for us and what is not. And throughout Scripture, church, we could go into all the passages, and and I'm happy to give those to you. But throughout Scripture, God's design for our sexuality is clear. There's two options, celibacy and singleness and sexual intimacy within the boundaries of a marriage covenant between a man and a woman. Those are the only two options given by God in his word uh, for our sexuality. So it may surprise you to hear that this is not popular. (laughs) Um, In fact, the sexual ethic of Jesus and his people has never been popular. It wasn't popular at the time he preached it. Uh, It was not popular throughout the ages of history and the different empires, and it is not popular today. Um, Because of our sin uh, and the selfishness, the, the turned inwardness that it brings, we believe that there is no boundary to the, the level of se- sexual satisfaction that we should be allowed to pursue or who we can pursue it with. But let's remember the context here. Sex was created by God for the multiplication of image bearers, for the uniting of the man and woman as one flesh, and for the ultimate purpose that we would see a glimpse of God's love for us through it. Now think about this. If you're the devil and you hate God and you hate the people who are made in his image and you hate unity and you hate life and you hate healthy relationships, then what better place to attack God? What better place to attack humanity than in a point of great guilt and shame that affects every single person? And in our sexuality. And that is exactly what we see happening in our culture today. Every TV show 
shows us that hookup culture is both possible to engage in without getting hurt and tons of fun. Everybody's doing it. Our movies show us that sex before marriage is completely normal, an appropriate testing of the waters to see if you're compatible. Our books and our songs uh, glorify adultery and casual flings with people not your spouse. And more and more now, our culture is also saying that homosexual intimacy is not only good, but something to be celebrated. And not only something to be celebrated, but something on which to construct your whole identity. Why does God say otherwise? Well, like we've said for the past weeks, our identity is not something that's customizable. It's not something that's self-made that we just can just create and customize at will. It is God-given. And building your identity on something as fickle as your sexual desires is a recipe for disaster. The world is telling us to do that these days, but it does not work. It does not satisfy. It does not end in life or fulfillment. Friends, you are not your sexual desires. That does not define you. You are a person made in God's image, and God is the one with the right to define who you are. But beyond the identity question is this one. Why is homosexuality not a part of God's good design for his people? Well, there's a lot of reasons, a lot of different things we could talk about, but I'm just going to highlight two. The first is this. Nowhere in Scripture is homosexuality spoken of well. From the Old Testament laws forbidding it um, to Paul's New Testament commands to the churches that clearly speak against it, there is no part of God's word where homosexuality is celebrated or held up as a good expression for the people of God. And we believe this to be a clear and straightforward teaching of Scripture. And here's the second thing. Homosexuality does not fulfill God's design for sex in any of the three ways we talked about, in procreation, in one flesh union, or in picturing Christ in the church. Set against God's purpose for our sexuality, homosexual intimacy can produce no image bearers of God. Instead of two different kinds of people becoming one, it's two of the same kind of person attempting to become one. And third and finally, therefore, it does not present to the world a picture of the love of Christ for his church, but rather a broken and distorted image of Christ and Christ or the church and the church. This simply is not God's design, nor his heart behind our sexuality. So then, church, with the, the truth of God's word firmly in our minds, how do we as Christians position ourselves toward those who um, are wrestling with same-sex attraction or uh, completely embracing um, homosexuality? How do we position ourselves? Over the last week, we've gotten this question in a variety of different ways, um, but all of them seem to boil down to this. How do we stand for truth uh, while showing grace to hurting people? How do we stand for the truth while showing grace to sinners? Um, and it's really no different in this case than it is in any other. Uh, the people of God oppose the lies of the enemy and embrace broken people. We oppose the lies of the enemy and we embrace broken people. So let's focus on that in two parts. First, we oppose the lies of the enemy. Y'all, the Christian recognizes that behind all of the sinful and broken and evil ideologies of the world, that there stands a spiritual enemy. 
that we are in a spiritual battle. Paul says this as much right after the marriage passage in Ephesians chapter 5. In chapter 6, verse 12, he says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. We aren't fighting against people, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. We live in the midst of a spiritual battle. And so church, we oppose the lies of the enemy. That's what we do. We are bold in speaking the truth to every one of the lies that the enemy has been uttering since the beginning. Every time that snake says, did God really say? We say, yes, he did. Yes, he did. He's good and I trust him and I'm gonna hold to his word. He did really say and I trust him. We fight against these spiritual forces, but we do not fight against people. People are not the enemy, no matter how much Satan would love for us to think so. Because when we're busy fighting against each other, then we're not fighting against him. And we're often missing the bigger, deeper spiritual realities that are happening. So we oppose the lies of the enemy and we love and embrace broken people. Church, for too long when people have found in themselves homosexual desires that they may or may not want and may or may not act upon, the only option for them has been to leave the church. That has been the only option. We as the people of God have not given permission for or space to people uh, to struggle with this sin. Um, We have not given room for people to be able to confess and to say they're struggling Uh, without finding ridicule or shame. And for too long, same-sex attraction has been a scarlet letter of mockery that has driven people away in shame from the only place that we can find hope and healing. And so, church, we want to see that change. If you are here today and you have struggled with same-sex attraction, if you are fighting these desires and trying to do it on your own, if you're afraid to share your story, Um, or to seek help, or to ask anyone any questions about the desires that you are feeling within yourself, um, then first of all, I want to say I'm sorry. I'm sorry that the church has not been a place um, where you can wrestle with these things. I'm sorry that the people of God have not shown the same grace that Jesus does. And we want to say to you that this is a place where you can safely struggle. We want to say as the leaders of the church that if you want to share your story with us, then we would love to hear it and we'd love to listen uh, before we say anything. And we'd love to hear your heart and the things that you're struggling with and we will not shame you or drive you away. We will say that we believe God has more for you, that there is hope and healing beyond your same-sex attraction, that God's design is different than those desires that you may find within yourself but we will do it with all of the love and compassion and tenderness and care that our Savior provides. Friend, there is hope for you here. There is grace for you here. There is grace for me, praise God, and grace for every one of us sexually broken people. Amen? Amen. And church, for the rest of us, can we repent? of thinking that battling same-sex attraction is different than battling heterosexual lust. They're both wrong. 
They're both reasons for which Jesus Christ had to die. And the good news is that he did. He did. He came and died for us. He lived a perfect life. He died a perfect death in your place as a substitute for the sin that you have committed, taking the punishment that you deserved. And he rose, conquering not only death, but conquering sin so that you and I could live a life free from sin. Obviously still struggling with it, still living in a a broken body, still living in a broken world, but no longer under sin's dominion, no longer under its power. Sin is no longer your master if you're in Christ because Christ is your master and what a, a better master he is. He is tender and kind and he knows exactly how you work and how your body works and what you need to live. And friends, who the Son sets free is free indeed. And so I invite you, if you never have, to come to Jesus. Come to him. Let him lead you and guide you and heal the parts of you that are sexually broken and wounded and filled with sin. There is mercy for you. Our Savior knows and he understands. And he offers his grace to you today. Well, church, what else can we do to help our brothers and sisters who are struggling with same-sex attraction? I'll give you three things. The first is this, repent of idolizing marriage. As we saw in scripture, marriage is a good and beautiful gift from God instituted by him that we want to celebrate here. We do celebrate here and we should. It's a good thing. But we also need to be aware that like any good gift, it too can become an idol. Too often in the church, if you're not married, it can feel like Uh, that you're looked down upon or you're just pushed to the side of the church's activities. Um, And that may or may not be true, but friends, we do not want that to be the case here. Um, This should not be. Because you know what else that God says is a good gift? Singleness. Both Jesus and Paul say it's better than marriage, and they wish more people could be like that. It's a good gift. And so if that's the case, if it's a good gift, the church of all places should be a place where singleness is celebrated and affirmed and not look down upon and pushed to the side. Because you know what else is true? Human marriage is not forever. Till death do you part, is what we say. And at death, the marriage ends. Jesus said that in the resurrection, they will no longer marry or be given in marriage. That's not part of the new heaven and the new earth. Because you know why? There's one marriage that is eternal. And it's between Jesus and us, his people, the church. And so all of these earthly marriages are just signposts pointing to that ultimate beautiful marriage when Christ returns for his bride and we live together in unity forever in a new heaven and a new earth. Friends, he is the point of marriage. Jesus is the point of marriage. He is the point of singleness. He is the point of our sexuality. He is our heavenly husband. He is the goal of all this that we're talking about. It all points to him. So if you don't have him, you don't have any of it. You have nothing. But if you have Jesus, then you have everything. Amen? Hey, come on now. Y'all got a little soul in you this morning. I like that. Um, number two, we must recover the same-sex relationship that the Bible heavily endorses, friendship. Too often, a person in the church struggling with same-sex desires is forced to believe that the only option they have for faithfulness to God 
is loneliness. But friends, that is a lie of the enemy. Uh, The church is the new and better family. The church is the people of God, uh, a family that is more enduring and eternal than any earthly family. Um, And so the church of all places should be a place where every person is able to find community, where every person is able to find intimate, whole, healthy relationships, where every person, uh, their loneliness is banished. Loneliness should have no place in the church because of the depth of our relationships, the depth of our friendships, the depth of our brother-sister relationships in Christ. We are called to that kind of unity and intimacy within the body of Christ. We've got some work to do in that area. And finally, number three, we must speak gently and honestly about the cost of following Jesus. For those who experience same-sex attraction, the call of Scripture to give that up to follow Jesus is a very tall order. To give up the hope of sexual intimacy for the joy of following Christ is something that many of us have not had to do. So as people making disciples, you and I need to be honest about the call of Jesus uh, and the reality of, of what a challenging and difficult thing it is. Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, he must come and die. Come and die to himself. He really does call us to give up everything like we were singing in that third song. And so we shouldn't shy away from that. We shouldn't flinch at that. We need to be honest about the reality of what Jesus is calling people to. But uh, we also must be full of grace and compassion toward people who are struggling with that call. Jesus did not shy away from what he was calling people to, but neither did he seek to make the burden even heavier and harder than it was. The Pharisees did that, and Jesus rebuked them for it. Jesus said, my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. So church, let's not be adding to the burden of Christ. Let's not be adding to what Christ has put on people. Well, church, this is a huge conversation. Um, You're probably thinking, man, that's not what I expected at church today. And now I've got 500 other questions about everything you just said. Um, So if that's you, that is totally okay. These are conversations that are ongoing. We've been hearing about so many people talking during the week about these things, which we love. We feel like the enemy has silenced the church, and we just want to open up these conversations. Um, So keep them going. If you have questions, feel free to email Scott or myself. Uh, We're going to continue talking about these things. We also have a ton of resources that we'd love to offer to you on our website, orchardhillschurch.org slash resources. Um, We've got podcasts, lots of which have been really shaping for us on these things, books that we've loved, websites. Um, And then quickly, I want to highlight a few books that we've read that we've loved. These are for sale uh, outside, so you're welcome to grab those on the way out. The first is this, Is God Anti-Gay? This is by Sam Albury, one of the guys I quoted, pastor in the UK. Um, He does experience same-sex attraction, um, and so he has chosen to live a celibate life as a single man for the glory of God. Um, So he's got a great heart and perspective on these things. This book answers tons of questions, looks at all the relevant scripture passages, and it's only 100 pages, uh, which are pretty small. Um, So I recommend that to you. Next is this one. It's called Gay Girl, Good God. It's by Jackie Hill Perry. Um, She, too, experienced same-sex attraction from a very early age. Um, The Lord 
saved her uh, in an incredible way. This book is her testimony um, of how the Lord just pulled her out of all kinds of broken things um, and brought her into life. Uh, And then eventually uh, into marriage with a man. And she now speaks and uh, travels and writes books and Bible studies. This is her testimony. It's really, really beautiful. Um, And then the last one here, this is Dr. Julie Slattery, Rethinking Sexuality, God's Design, and Why It Matters. This is more holistically over the whole topic of sexuality. Um, Julie is right in line with where we are as your leadership. Uh, She, you know, talks about uh, just the way that all of us are sexually broken, that we're not divided up into categories of the pure and the impure, those who made it to their wedding night as virgins and those who didn't. Um, Julie's like, we're all sexually broken. Uh, And we all need Jesus. And the way that she talks about finding healing and hope through the gospel of Jesus is beautiful. So recommend that to you as well. Church, thanks for hanging in there today. Uh, Thanks for wrestling with these things and talking about these things in your life groups and amongst yourselves. Um, Yeah, I believe that God has so much more for us in this area. Um, And let me just close by saying that for everyone, uh, every one of us, um, for those who are same-sex attracted or not, For those who are married or single or single again, um, the hope in all of this is Jesus Christ himself. He is the one that our uh, marriage or not, that our sexuality is, is pointing to. He is the hope that we have for this life and the life to come, and he has died for you. And so he invites you to come to him. If you never have, he says, come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest. If sexuality is an area where you have been broken and hurt or where you've, you've broken and hurt others, there is healing and hope and wholeness for you in Jesus. Come to him. He is so, so worth it. Let's pray. Well, Lord Jesus, we thank you. Um, yeah, just for your plan of redemption. Uh, Lord, not only did you have a beautiful plan in creating us and the way that you made the world and designed us to work is so beautiful, Um, But Lord, even uh, though our our sin has broken and marred this creation, Lord, you have made a beautiful plan of redemption uh, to bring everything back to the wholeness that you created it in and more. That we would not just be brought back to, um, uh, to innocence, but that we would be brought into your holiness, your righteousness, covered with your goodness forever. Lord Jesus, thank you for all that you've done in the gospel. Thank you for dying for us and rising so that we could rise with you to a new kind of a life right here and right now. Lord, I pray that for anyone who is hopeless today, for anyone who feels like they're beyond saving, for anyone who feels like they don't need saving, Lord, would you bring all of us um, to our knees in humble adoration of you and the beauty of what you have done in the good news. Lord, thank you for redeeming every part of us, even our sexuality. We pray that you'd continue this good work among us by your spirit. And we pray it all in the name of Jesus. Amen.